0: Shakespeare presents The Rape of Lucrece, Part 5. O, so what art of physiognomy might one behold? The face of either Ida ciphered either's heart, their face, their manners most expressly told. In Ajax's eyes blunt rage and rigor rolled. But a mild glance the sly Ulysses lent, showed deep regard and smiling government. There pleading might you see grave Nestor stand, as twere encouraging the Greeks to fight making such sober action with his hand that it beguiled attention charmed the sight. In speech, it seemed, his beard all silver-white, wagged up and down, and from his lips did fly, thin winding breath which purled up to the sky. About him were a press of gaping fays which seemed to swallow up his sound advice, all jointly listening, but with several graces, as if some mermaid did their ears entice. Some high, some low, the painter was so nice, the scalps of many almost hid behind, to jump up higher seemed to mock the mind. Here one man's hand leaned on another's head, his nose being shadowed by his neighbor's ear. Here one being thronged bears back all bollen and red. Another smothered seems to pelt and swear. And in their rage such signs of rage, of rage, they bear, As, but for loss of Nestor's golden words, It seemed they would debate with angry swords. For much imaginary work was there, Conceit deceitful, so compact, so kind, That for Achilles' image stood his spear, Gripped in an armed hand, himself behind, Was left unseen, say to the eye of mind, A hand, a foot, a face, a leg, a head stood for the whole to be imagined. And from the walls of strong besieged Troy, when their brave hope bold Hector marched to field, stood many Trojan mothers sharing joy to see their youthful sons' bright weapons wield. And to their hope they such out of the action yield, that through their light joy seemed to appear, like bright things stained a kind of heavy fear and from the Strand of Dardom where they fought to Simwa's reedy banks the Red Blood ran, whose waves to imitate the battle sought with swelling bridges and their ranks began to break upon the Gaul at shore and then retire again till meeting greater ranks they join and shoot their foam at Simwa's banks. To this well-painted piece is Lucrece come to find a face where all distress is stilled? Many she sees where cares have carved some, but none where all distress and dolor dwelled. Till she despairing Hecuba beheld, staring on Priam's wounds with her old eyes, which bleeding under Pyrrhus' proud foot lies. In her the painter had anatomized, time's ruin, beauty's rack and grim care's reign. Her cheeks with chaps and wrinkles were disguised, of what she was no semblance did remain her blue blood changed to black in every vein, wanting the spring that those shrunk pipes had fed, showed life imprisoned in a body dead. On this sad Shadow Lucrece spends her eyes, and shapes her sorrow to the Beldam's woes, who nothing wants to answer her but cries, and bitter words to ban her cruel foes. The painter was no god to lend her those, and therefore Lucrece swears he did her wrong, to give her so much grief, and not a tongue. Poor instrument, quoth she, without a sound, I'll tune thy woes with my lamenting tongue, and drop sweet power in Priam's painted wound, and rail on Pyrrhus that hath done him wrong, and with my tears quench Troy that burns so long. And with my knife scratch out the angry eyes Of all the Greeks that are thine enemies. Show me the trumpet that began this stir, That with my nails her beauty I may tear. Thy heat of lust from Paris did incur This load of wrath that burning Troy doth bear. Thy eye kindled the fire that burneth here, And here in Troy for trespass of thine eye, The sire, the son, the dame and daughter die. Why should the private pleasure of someone become the public plague of of many more? Let sin alone committed light alone upon his head that hath transgressed so. Let guiltless souls be freed from guilty woe. For one's offense, why should so many fall to plague a private sin in general? Lo, here weeps Hecuba, here Priam dies. Here manly Hector faints, here Troilus swounds. Here friend by friend in bloody channel lies, And friend to friend gives unadvised wounds, And one man's lust these many lives confounds, Had doting Priam checked his son's desire, Troy had been bright with fame, and not with fire. Here feelingly she weeps Troy's painted woes for sorrow, like a heavy hanging bell, once set on ringing with his own weight, goes then little strength rings out the doleful knell, so Lucrece set a work, sad tales doth tell to pencil pensiveness and coloured sorrow, she lends them words, and she their looks doth borrow. she throws her eyes about the painting round. And who she finds forlorn she doth lament. At last she sees a wretched image bound That piteous looks to Phrygian shepherds lent. His face, though full of cares, yet showed content, Onward to Troy with their blunt swain's he goes, So mild that patience seemed to scorn his woes. In him the painter labored with his skill To hide deceit and give the harmless show, An humble gait, calm looks, eyes wailing still, A brow unbent that seemed to welcome woe. Cheeks neither red nor pale, but mingled so, That blushing red no guilty instance gave, Nor ashy pale the fear that false hearts have. But like a constant and firm devil, He entertained a show so seeming just, And therein so ensconced his secret evil, That jealousy itself could not mistrust. False creeping craft and perjury should thrust Into so bright a day such black-faced storms, Or blot with hell-born sins such saint-like forms. The well-skilled workman this mild image drew For perjured Sinon, whose enchanting story, The credulous old Priam after slew, Whose words, like wildfire, burned the shining glory Of rich-built Ilion, that the skies were sorry And little stars shot from their fixed places, When their glass fell wherein they viewed their faces. This picture she advisedly perused, And chid the painter for his wondrous skill, Saying some shape in silence was abused, So fair a form was not a mind so ill. And still on him she gazed, and gazing still, Such signs of truth in his plain face she spied, That she concludes the picture was belied. It cannot be, quoth she, that so much guile, she would have said, can lurk in such a look. But Tarquin's shape came in her mind the while, and from her tongue can lurk from Cannot took. It cannot be, she in that sense forsook, and turned it thus. It cannot be, I find, but such a face should bear a wicked mind. For even a subtle Sinon here is painted, so sober sad, so weary and so mild, as if with grief or travail he had fainted. To me came Tarquin, armed to beguiled, with outward honesty, but yet defiled, with inward vice. As Priam him did cherish, so did I Tarquin, so my Troy did perish. Look, Look, how listening Priam wears his eyes To see those borrowed tears the silence sheds. Priam, why art thou old and yet not wise? For every tear he falls a Trojan bleeds, His eye drops fire no water thence proceeds. Those round clear pearls of his that move thy pity, Are balls of quenchless fire to burn thy city. Such devils steal effects from lightless hell, For Sinon in his fire doth quake with cold, And in that cold hot burning fire doth dwell These contraries such unity do hold, Only to flatter fools and make them bold. So Priam's trust, for Sinon's tears doth flatter, That he finds means to burn his Troy with water here all enraged such passion her assails the patience is quite beaten from her breast she tears the senseless signum with her nails comparing him to that unhappy guest whose death made herself herself at last she smilingly with this gives o'er fool fool quoth she his wounds will not be sore thus ebbs and flows the current of her sorrow and time doth weary time with her complaining. She looks for night, and then she longs for morrow. And both she thinks too long with her remaining. Short time seems long in sorrow's sharp sustaining. Though woe be heavy, yet it seldom sleeps, and they that watch see time how slow it creeps. Which all this time hath slipped a thought, that she with painted images hath spent, being from the feeling of her own grief brought by deep surmise of other's detriment, losing her woes in shows of discontent, it easeth some, though none it ever cured, to think their dollar others have endured. But now the mindful messenger comes back, brings home his lord and other company, who finds his Lucrece clad in morning black, and round about her tear-distained eye, blue circles streamed like rainbows in the sky. These water gulls in her dim element foretell new storms to those already spent. Which, when her sad-beholding husband saw, amazedly in her sad face he stares. Her eyes, though sodden tears, look red and raw, her lively color killed with deadly cares. He hath no power to ask her how she fares. Both stood like old acquaintances in a trance, Met far from home, wondering each other's chance. At last he takes her by the bloodless hand, And thus begins, What uncouth ill event hath thee befallen That thou dost trembling stand? Sweet love, what spite hath thy fair colours spent? Why art thou thus attired in discontent? mask, dear, dear, this moody heaviness, And tell thy grief that we may give redress. Three times with sighs she gives her sorrow fire. Ere once she can discharge one word of woe, At length addressed to answer his desire, She modestly prepares to let them know. Her honour is taken prisoner by the foe, while Collatine and his consorted lords with sad attention long to hear her words, and now this pale swan in her watery nest begins the sad dirge of her certain ending. Few words, quoth she, shall fit the trespass best, where no excuse can give the fault amending. In me more woes than words are now depending, and my laments will be drawn out too long. To tell them all, with one poor tired tongue. Then be this all the task it hath to say, Dear husband, in the interest of thy bed a stranger came, And on thy pillow lay, where thou wast wont, wearst thy weary head? At what wrong else may be imagined, By foul enforcement might be done to me. From that, alas, thy Lucrece is not free. For in the dreadful dead of dark midnight, with shining falchion in my chamber came, a creeping creature with a flaming light, and softly cried, Awake, thy Roman dame, and entertain my love, else lasting shame on thee and thine this night I will inflict, if thou my love's desire do contradict. For some hard favored groom of thine, quoth he, Unless thou yoke thy liking to my will, I'll murder straight, and then I'll slaughter thee. And swear I found you where you did fulfill the loathsome act of lust, and so did kill the leches in their deed. This act will be my fame and thy perpetual infamy. With this, I did begin to start and cry. And then against my heart he set his sword, Swearing, unless I took all patiently, I should not live to speak another word. So should my shame still rest upon record, And never be forgotten mighty Rome, The adulterate death of Lucrece and her groom mine enemy was strong my poor self weak and father weaker with so strong a fear my bloody judge forbade my tongue to speak no rightful plea might plead for justice there his scarlet lust came evidence to swear that my pure beauty had purloined his eyes and when the judge is robbed the prisoner dies oh teach me how to make mine own excuse or at the least this refuge let me find, Though my gross blood be stained with this abuse, Immaculate and spotless is my mind. That was not forced, that never was inclined To accessory yieldings, but still pure, Doth in her poisoned closet yet endure. Lo, here, the hopeless merchant of this loss, With head declined and voice damned up with woe, With sad set eyes and wreathed arms across, from lips new waxen pale begins to blow. The grief away that stops his answer so. But wretched as he is, he strives in vain. What he breathes out, his breath drinks up again. As through an arch the violent roaring tide outruns the eye that doth behold his haste. Yet in the eddy boundeth in his pride back to the strait that forced him on so fast, in rage sent out, recalled in rage being past. Even so his sighs, his sorrows make us sore, to push grief on, and back the same grief draw. Which speechless woe of his poor she attendeth, and his untimely frenzy thus awaketh Dear Lord, thy sorrow to my sorrow lendeth another power, no flood by raining slaketh. My woe too sensible, thy passion maketh more feeling painful. Let it then suffice to ground one woe, one pair of weeping eyes. And for my sake, when I might charm thee so, for she that was thy decrease, now attend me. Be suddenly revenged on my foe. Thine mine his own. Suppose thou dost defend me from what is past, the help that thou shalt lend me, comes all too late, yet let the traitor die, for sparing justice feeds iniquity. But ere I name him, you fair lords, quoth she, speaking to those that came with collatine, Shall so plight your honourable faiths to me with swift pursuit to avenge this wrong of mine, for 'tis a meritorious fair design to chase injustice with revengeful arms, knights by their oath, should right poor lady's harms. At this request, with noble disposition, each present lord began to promise aid, as bound in knighthood to her imposition, longing to hear the hateful foe berade. But she, that yet her sad tasks hath not said, the protestation stops. O oh, speak, quoth she, how may this forced stain be wiped from me? What is the quality of my offence, being constrained with dreadful circumstance? May my pure mind with the foul act dispense my low-declined honour to advance. May any terms acquit me from this chance, The poisoned fountain clears itself again, and why not I from this compelled stain? With this they all at once began to say, her body's stain, her mind untainted clears, while with a joyless smile she turns away, the face, that map which deep impression bears, of hard misfortune carved in it with tears. No, no, quoth she, no damn hereafter, living by my excuse, shall claim excuses giving Here, with a sigh as if her heart would break, She throws forth Tarquin's name. he, he, she says, But more than he her poor tongue could not speak, Till after many accents and delays, Untimely breathing sickened short assays, She utters this He he, fair lords, tis he, that guides his hand to give this wound to me. Even here she sheathed in her harmless breast, A harmful knife that thence her soul unsheathed. That blow did bale it from the deep unrest Of that polluted prison where it breathed. Her contrite sighs unto the clouds bequeathed, Her winged sprite, and through her wounds doth fly life's lasting date. From cancelled destiny. Stone still, astonished with this deadly deed, stood Colatine and all his lordly crew, to Lucrece's father, that beholds her bleed, himself on her self slaughtered body threw. And from the purple fountain, Brutus drew the murderous knife, and as it left the place, her blood in poor revenge held it in chase. And bubbling from her breast, it doth divide in two slow rivers that the crimson blood Circles her body in on every side, Who, like a late sacked island vastly stud, Bare and unpeopled in this fearful flood, Some of her blood still pure and red remained, And some looked black, and that Faust stained. About the mourning and congealed face of that black blood a watery Rigel goes, which seems to weep upon the tainted place, and ever since, as pitying Lucrece woes, corrupted blood some watery token shows, and blood untainted still doth red abide, blushing at that which is so putrefied. Daughter, dear daughter, old Lucretius cries, that life was mine which thou hast here deprived. If in the child the father's image lies, where shall I live now Lucrece is unlived? Thou wast not to this end from me derived. If children predecease progenitors, we are their offspring and they none of ours. Poor broken glass, I often did behold in thy sweet semblance my old age newborn. But now that fair-fresh mirror, dim and old, shows me a bare death by time outworn. Oh, from thy cheeks my image thou hast torn and shivered all the beauty of my glass, that I no more can see what I once was. O time, cease thou course, and last no longer, if they so cease to be that should survive, shall rotten death make conquest of the stronger, and leave the faltering feeble souls alive. The old bees die, the young possess their hive, then live, sweet Lucrece, live again and see thy father die, and not thy father thee. By this starts Colatine as from a dream, and bids Lucretius give his sorrow place, and then in key cold Lucretius' bleeding stream he falls and bathes that pale fear in his face, and counterfeits to die with her a space, till manly shame bids him possess his breath and live to be revenged on her death. The deep vexation of his inward soul hath served the a rest upon his tongue. Who, mad that sorrows should his use control, or keep him from heart-easing words so long, begins to talk, but through his lips do throng weak words so thick come in his poor heart's aid, that no man could distinguish what he said. Yet sometime Tarquin was pronounced plain, but through his teeth as if the name he tore, this windy tempest till it blow up rain, Held back his sorrows tight to make it more. At last it rains, and busy winds gore Then son and father weep with equal strife, Who should weep most, poor daughter or for wife? The one doth call her his, the other his, Yet neither may possess the claim they lay, the father says, She's mine, oh, mine she is, replies her husband. Do not take away my sorrow's interests, let no mourner say he weeps for her, for she was only mine, and only must be wailed by Collatine. Oh, quoth Lucretius, I did give that life, which she too early and too late hath spilled. Woe, woe, quoth Collatine she was my wife i owed her and is mine that she hath killed my daughter and my wife with clamors filled the dispersed there who holding lucrece's life answered their cries my daughter and my wife brutus who plucked the knife from lucrece's side seeing such emulation in their woe Began to clothe his wit in state and pride, Burying in Lucretius' wound his folly's show. He, with the Romans, was esteemed so, As silly jeering idiots are with kings, For sporting words and uttering foolish things. But now he throws that shallow habit, By wherein the policy did him disguise, And armed his long hid wits advisedly, To check the key in Collatinus' lies, Thou wronged lord of Rome, quoth he, Arise, let my unsounded self suppose to the fool, Now set thy long-experienced wit to school. Why, Coletine, is woe the cure for woe? Do wounds help wounds, or grief help grievous deeds? Is it revenge to give thyself a blow? For his foul act by whom thy fair wife bleeds? such childish humor from weak minds proceeds thy wretched wife mistook the matter so to slay herself that should have slain her foe courageous roman do not steep thy heart in such relenting dew of lamentations but kneel with me and help to bear thy part to rouse our Roman gods with invocations, that they will suffer these abominations, since Rome herself in them doth stand disgraced, by our strong arms from forth her fair streets chased. Now by the Capitol that we adore, by this chaste blood so unjustly stained, by heaven's fair sun that breathes the fatter store, by all our country rights in Rome maintained, and by chaste Lucre's soul that late complained, her wrongs to us, and by this bloody knife, we will revenge the death of this true wife. This said, he struck his hand upon his breast and kissed the fatal knife to end his vow. And to his protestation urged the rest, who wondering at him, did his words allow. Then jointly to the ground their knees they bow. And that the vow which Brutus hath made for, he doth again repeat, and that they swore. When they had sworn to this adviser doom, they did conclude to bear dead Lucrece thence, to show her bleeding body thorough Rome, and so to publish Tarquin's foul offence, which being done with speedy diligence, the Romans plausible did consent to Tarquin's everlasting banishment. Thus ends The Rape of Lucrece. of Lucrece by William Shakespeare Part 5 Read by David Alexander MacDonald Original music and direction by David Alexander MacDonald Appendant Audio production. Thank you very much for listening